And you, you guys cue me if I'm ta- if I talk too fast or mumble stuff, so I people don't get discouraged listening. That's Todd's job. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He gives the big eyes, and then we both yeah. have to be like, "Oh, what's going on?" Fix it. Enunciate. That's right. <laughs> I'm Todd Lyons. I'm Natalie Crandall. My name is Kaveh Afshar. And this is the Innovate on Demand podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome, Kaveh. So, Kaveh, you work at uh, ECCC. That's right. Tell us a little bit about what you do over there. Well, I work in the uh, chief data office. Um, I am the manager responsible for data science and departmental data governance, uh, which they kind of go hand in hand and, and they feed off each other. So those are the two two things we do. Um, in the chief data office, we are we have no data, we produce no data, we consume no data, huh. we are just solving data problems for others. Huh. So uh, we have the computer science knowledge, we have the statistics and math knowledge, but we don't have the business knowledge. So our colleagues from different branches come and say, I have this business problem and this is the data. What can you do? Hmm. And then we kind of go about working together to solve those problems using data. So maybe you can give us a couple of examples of some of the sort of more uh, relevant or interesting. Sure. Yeah. I think probably the most interesting, more successful project we've had was with the regulatory enforcement branch. And before we arrived there, before we had any uh, conversation, in, in general, regulatory enforcement's are highly regional, run regionally. And it's not always clear from the center how the forces are distributed, which parts are we going, kind of aggregating that at a national level to say, kind of like, you know, I don't like heat maps, but heat maps can look like where the activities are happening, all this. That that historically didn't exist. A lot of these enforcements were done on paper, not necessarily available, kind of regional decisions, some center stuff. I kind of call it, uh, let's do this year what we did last year with some changes. That's generally this thing. So um, <laughs> in our enforcement branch, and it's in the public, uh, they got audited by other general a number of times, and they say, uh-uh, you need to be more risk-based, you need to be more evidence-based, you need to use your data effectively. It was very timely when I had come, when we arrived at enforcement, when and I had a little bit of a knowledge about uh, regulatory enforcement from the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, where I used yes. to work. I was a manager of uh, risk analytics. So when I heard that, um, I met with our, met with, uh, our, uh, counterparts at the enforcement branch and I mentioned like, here's what we could do. We could use all of this enforcement data that you've picked up over some 20 some years and we could visualize it. We could show you what's happened, all of that. We kind of tell you the story. That was very appealing to them because if you ask them around 15, 16 months ago, what happened last week? What happened last year? What happened any time in history? It would be weeks worth of Excel sheets copy pasting, a bunch of FTEs have to kind of get together and do that. And then you ask that question two months from then, then they have to do the same work again. Mm-hmm. So it was very laborious, not repeatable. And um, even reporting on performance indicators, which is PIPs, like performance information profiles, which you have to do with TBS, Weeks, if not months of work to do because they had to fix all of these um, uh, within the system that they're using a CRM system, which is client relations management. They're not great at data collection. They're good at interact, capturing interactions. So we got that data and they were given this huge price tag of like millions of dollars to warehouse the data, to visualize it. Uh, I think someone in the private sector, we arrived there and warehoused all their data 
visualize all our data. And within 15 months, we went from not knowing anything that had happened at a systematic level across Canada for 20 years to a place where you can see all of this data in one place, visualized, accessible to the business, updated every night on an automatic scheduler. Mm. Wow. And even if they continue to enter bad data, like if they're like Shell Canada is misspelled, it corrects along the way and put into a warehouse in a good condition that can be retracted. All of the performance indicator profiles, it can report it every day if they want to because that data is updated. They don't have to lift a finger. And we just use artificial intelligence and, and machine learning to produce a kind of top 100 risk areas or risk entities you need to look at going forward. This was unheard of. This is generally unheard of in, in regulatory enforcement outside national security, of course. And the leap they made forward is unbelievable inside, but we were also kind of like surprised at the pace at which we could, could execute this. And a lot of the analysts are super happy because they don't spend time dealing with Excel sheets. They're literally analyzing. Intelligence is coming in more or less on a real time basis at this point. And that has enabled them to kind of take those uh, targets we're producing for next year to be operationalized and see, kind of field tested, see how successful they are, what we need to make adjustments. I would venture a guess, and I'm, 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 that this is probably the most advanced data operations in their regulatory enforcement across Government Canada. Again, outside national security issues. Yeah. They have 300 officers and the entire country to enforce. Having that kind of system tell them where they, where, where they need to pay attention to is invaluable. All of this took two FTEs and $10,000 worth of O&M. Wow. So are you knocking on all the other regulators' doors now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I got some names for you at Transport Canada, if so, you like. <laughs> yeah. we, we benefit from a bit of an um, unfair advantage because um, our mandate is very focused and clear. It's on environmental regulations and, and wildlife regulations. Uh, I, I do feel for our colleagues in Transport Canada because their mandate is much larger. Like yes. they have to come. Yeah. Commercial planes, regular planes, cars, roads, trains. Driverless cars, drones. Very complex. <laughs> Lots so, changing. Uh, while this, if you ever want to innovate and advance something really fast, you start with your, where you have the most flexibility and the narrower scope to so be able to execute and see, is this possible? And um, this was a good example. And I think we're, we're, we're trying to uh, help elevate that in the regula- regulated community, regulate her community um, at the Canadian Re- federal uh, regulators and uh, um, community federal regulators, sorry. And it's all about impact. As we don't talk data because it's not interesting to them. They are interested um, in, in the impact. And one of the things I find in enforcement, they're very operationally focused. That's The alignments are tremendous. Yeah. You don't have to convince people data is important. And that's really, really good. That culture piece really advances our cause. So you said that not only was the client surprised at the pace of execution, but actually you guys internally were surprised by that. Yeah. So what are some of the factors that enabled you to be able to actually execute effectively um, and efficiently? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. Um, I think first, first thing first, have a really good business question. Not a data question, not, you know, a specific prescription. Have a really good business question. And it normally starts as, I don't know what happened in our business. Can you figure out, here's the data, right? Yeah. That gives us a lot of room and a lot of flexibility to try to build that story. They didn't tell us what tools to use, what system to engage, 
uh, you know, uh, what specific, you know, detailed, deep question they want to answer. They just wanted to know what's happened and how can we use this data to be more evidence-based. So that process, the first iteration of that we had, like a proof of concept, took six weeks. They saw the results. So we work in a very agile way in, in like we constantly say we are as good as our customers' understanding of what we do. Right. So everything we do is a pipeline. Everything they see is a dashboard. So if the dashboard doesn't really communicate to them, the pi- pipeline is not showing its value. So we visualized it in a, in a uh, BI tool, a business intelligence tool. And that really kind of like they got it and said, this is what I want. And so, so we, we had a really clear goal of what we wanted to do. We just needed to scale that. Um, one of the key things was that in, in all these projects, you need an executive champion on the mm-hmm. business side. They need to want to have this happen. So we've done multiple projects elsewhere where everyone says, oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's really good. Have a nice day. Because it's not, I find it, if it's not in their PMA to do it, it's very hard for them to take those kind of risks. I mean, the Westminster system was not designed for its flexibility. It was designed yeah. to be rigorous, static, even when there's no governing party, they run it. And we were trying to innovate within that. So there's a lot of kind of cultural issues there. But having that executive culture, I want this to happen and go forward. We also had um, uh, some flexibility with tools in the sense that we could use open source. Everything we use is open source. There's nothing. We paid zero for software. Good. Um, and uh, it's all R and Python, and the visualization is actually a Power BI visualization, but that's a, we're using the free version because we don't our department doesn't have the enterprise solution. I'm running a data project. We're also using the free version of Power BI. It's sufficient yeah, for what we it's need. It's good for you know initial steps, but ultimately, if you want to be data driven, you have to have the right tools too. Yeah. Um, and that really enabled us to kind of having R and Python visualize do this. Where our warehouse, we have a little station. It's a little uh, it's, uh, it's like a ten thousand dollar worth of O and M that I mentioned. Just a little computer that helps us warehouse the data in a secure way. Um, we probably have more uh, security uh, measures around that station that the department has around the department because, like, there's <laughs> an audit log, it runs security, automated stuff. Like, anything goes wrong, anyone has a weak password, we let them know. Uh, and that's so, <laughs> this is a bad password you have. I mean, so we, we've, we've, we've set up, we have that bit of an infrastructure. But one of the ideas to me is that it doesn't take a lot of money, it takes some courage. It takes some commitment and it, what it takes from our side is make sure you communicate what it does. What's the impact? Often I find, um, the ivory tower type approach to data is, oh, the coefficient of this is this. And, and as a result, you know, the R squared, like most of our executives won't understand the no. R squared of Speaking a regression English. model. <laughs> so you have to say, what does this mean? So what? And if, and that's the kind of like, if every data scientist can learn a new skill, um, is to learn how to communicate your, results in an accessible way where your grandma or mom or dad who's not a data scientist will understand if they don't you're too complex mm-hmm. it's not distilled yet that messaging is critical we can call it the the new three c's for for data science what is, what is, courage commitment and communication great <laughs> <laughs> i like it i'm gonna use that <laughs> <laughs> well it's yours <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, that, that's a, a ton of stuff we do. And one of the things we do when we do these exercises, what's very useful is you open up the black box of data. Um, uh, cause everyone knows they have data problems. They just don't know what. So when you do these things, you kind of, as you built your data pipelines, as you engineer the data to do a pur- for a purpose, you learn what are the key issues along the lines that informs your governance. If you want to have a data strategy, I need to address X, Y, and Z. What are those X, Y, and Z? There's an ocean of data problems. 
and you need to be able to focus on key elements and then dig deeper. And so that also has clarified for our enforcement branch what investments they, do they need to take, uh, they need to make in, uh, in their data governance, what areas they need to uh, tackle first, and um, how they could achieve that what we call utopian vision of kind of not minority report, but something close to it. Yeah. Um, and one of the things we did during enforcement, we brought in financial information on regulated entities because we know from research companies who are going through financial duress, they have, they're not paying their taxes. They are breaking a bunch of laws and being sued. <laughs> they have poor labor relations issues. Guess what? They're not compliant. They're not going to comply with, you know, federal regulations. There are very low probability of getting caught. So instead of looking at the symptom of non-compliance, we're looking at possible causes that are coming in. This is companies, a bad behaving company, or it's going through financial difficulties. Maybe enforcement is not the right solution. Maybe a line of credit is the solution. So trying to better understand mm-hmm. um, the industry and various companies and their behaviors and use those behaviors to better understand where the risks are going to be. If you actually look at, um, if you're in a financial space, um, you can look at like people like Warren Buffett. They look at companies as a person. Right. Is this person nice behaving? Is this, are they doing the right thing? Are they taking, borrowing too much money? Are they taking too many risks? That says something about the character of a company, just like a human. When a human, when, when you know somebody passes a red light on purpose, they're probably not going to stop at a stop sign either. Right? Yeah. So you, if you have the red light information, you can deduce something and predict their behavior at the red light, at the stop sign and be able to kind of better understand how to allocate your resources to, to focus your attention on areas that need attention. In enforcement world, the most expensive way to check for compliance is to send an enforcement officer. Right, of course. So how do you make sure they go where actually absolutely they need it? Right. And so how do you find the find the spot where you need to send exactly? The, and the this is kind of like candy officer. to enforcement folks. So like this is what they, they want to be where 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 they are the most useful. So that that's uh, we'd be very happy to have enabled that. Yeah. So if I kind of sum up a little bit, your your recipe for success really. Critically, you said the first biggest thing is have a clear business problem. Yeah. Right. Um, you need to have executive sponsorship. You yeah. need to have a champion. Yeah. You need to want to do this. So would you say that the, the sort of environment, uh, or the background of government has changed to allow this to happen in the last maybe five or 10 years? That's a very good question. I, I don't know if I can make a uh, general statement on that, frankly. Um, there are pockets that have succeeded, and those are good enough because they create uh, FOMO, yes. fear of missing out for others. And that's much more powerful than me standing say this is useful. <laughs> yeah. So those who have courage and they're required to do, and they do it, and they succeed, and often they have the right, right combination in there, um, they tend to stand out and others want to catch up. And that's a really good competition to have. It's a healthy competition to have uh, inside the government. I don't know if left um, unattended, the culture will change. I really don't think so. I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and there's a lot of work to be done at the executive level. There's a lot of work to be done and the people be higher. Yeah. Um, we are not hiring typists and kind of, you know, mailers anymore, people who mail stuff. We are hiring people with analytical capacity and we have to give them the tools, the knowledge, the data to be able to do that work. Uh, we don't want bureaucrats. We want brains. So it's hard to attract them if you're not doing the brainiac stuff. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it's hard to, uh, and we need to change how we manage our human resources mm-hmm. so that we attract the the talent uh, and then we can retain them and, yeah. and, and move them when we need them, move them where they, they want to go. Give them tools they need. Like, you know, um, in the 80s, if you went to work, you left pretty crappy technology and went to a state of art technology at work. Um, now we are leaving sometimes uh, really state of art technology at home and going to a crappy technology at work at times. And that's the part of things we have to be careful about. When we hire new people, we be able to provide them the tools that they're comfortable with, they can do things and trust them that they can deliver and um, give them space. I think that's very important. Just to add to that recipe, maybe one thing I would also say from a data perspective, I, I'm not big on buzzwords, but agile to me and user-centric is key. The idea of, oh, give me $2 million, I'll be back in five years. It is not a really good recipe for success. That means you're too disconnected. Yeah. You may not have a good understanding. Also, I'm going to take a year to figure out your business requirements is not a, it, it, I mean, yeah. things move on. Yeah. So we need to be, uh, we need to ha- create that room to be able to find prototype or POC, uh, proof of concepts that work and scale them and, and build these with little technical debt, which is, they can be modified down the line with little investment yeah. and um, have give business autonomy over how they manage their part of the um, equation. If they need to add or remove a field on a form, they don't have to issue an IT ticket. They should have governance internally say, I can add this. I yeah. know what I'm, this is my business. I know what I'm adding and removing. In fact, probably IT will be happy to hear that. That, you know, cause it's, that's not, that's not a very gratifying thing to add a field to somebody. Well, unless it's your business, then you're, it, you kind of care more about it and that's it's right. flexibility. So that's very important to be, to have that agility and, and iterative nature of doing the work. By the time we deliver something, the customer, our clients, like, I've seen this. I'm sick of it. I know it's good. So, it's, so there's no surprises. Yeah. They're not getting anything that they haven't seen before. And they go around and they, a lot of the culture piece on the operations, they do it on their own. We, we kind of try to play, play uh, supporting role, but that, that's kind of like a more business side of things that they take care of. We try not to, we try to say our, our role is kind of, we do the statistics and data and show you the impact and then you translate that impact to your workforce. That's right. You have the credibility. We don't, we don't know your business well enough. So, but it's a, we all have to be the supporting cast to, to exactly. the frontline business. But, uh, I, I really echo your sentiments and that, that, uh, ability to work in a different way, yeah. to deliver in a different way in different timelines yeah. is critical for us in the government because the world is happening and the rate of change in the world is so fast right now. If we want to be relevant, we have to. Absolutely. I mean, um, well, this is a little personal for me too, because I'm, I come from Iran. It's not known for its democratic institutions. And I know when it's, when it's not there, it's suffocating. Yeah. And there's nowhere written in, in, in our history books that Canadian democracy is going to last another 30 years. That's right. On left, not unattended. Part yeah. of our role I see is that to make sure we make democracy relevant, we make it smart. We, people see value in it. So they, they're willing to invest in it. They're willing to pay their taxes. They're, they think that government is using what they have smartly to protect their environment, yeah. to protect their uh, privacy, to protect their freedoms. And if we are kind of falling behind, and I, and I would guess if we don't do stuff today, well, in 10 years, there might not be an opportunity for us to make up the time. Google's and Apple's and, mm-hmm. and Facebook of the world will show value to their customers often at the price of their privacy and government might not become as relevant because we are too detached, out of touch. Yeah. So that's kind of my bit of a democratic um, imperative in my mm-hmm. head. Like we, we can't 
not do these things. We can't just sit at to say that status quo is okay. It's not. Yeah. Um, so that's um, the days of a complacent public service are over. Well, maybe I'm not necessarily <laughs> complacent, but it's kind of like we are not that Westminster system that was supposed to be static and not change. People expect yeah. change, and we just have to manage that change, communicate it, and understand there is there is fail the possibility of failure. Um, and if you want to be better at not failing, especially externally, you have to do internally things well. If yeah. you can't do HR in a fast way internally, we might struggle in issuing EI. So if you don't have internal services that work well and have familiarity where there's more room for risk, you know, God help us when we go outside. Yeah. So that's kind of what we are. We can take risks, calculate risks, have a backup plan, communicate it, explain that AI isn't going to solve the problem. It may help us direct our attention. But that's important because we have an ocean of problem. It's the idea of like, where do I look now? Where yeah. do I put my resources? Just like a day, you have eight and a half hours. Which emails are you going to answer? Which papers are you going to read? And AI can really assist us in doing that. It will not solve our problem, but it would definitely uh, make our questions smarter, uh, make our operations smarter, um, and and uh, inform us to know what the next steps are. Uh, and I'm not sure always, as it stands, we know what our next steps are in like digital transformation, data work, all kinds of stuff. So, For sure. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. Right. It's great to be here. Thank you for thank coming you today. Much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Cheers. You've been listening to Innovate On Demand, brought to you by the Canada School of Public Service. Our music is by Grapes. I'm Todd Lyons, producer of this series. Thank you for listening. Listening.